The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. Any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk and should not be considered legal, business, or medical advice. Hello and welcome to the Healthcare Maze podcast. My name is Mike McLafferty, and I'm the CEO and founder of MGM Advisory and Educational Services. Today, we're going to discuss cyber security issues in the healthcare industry. We're pleased to have Nelson Gomes as a guest on our podcast today. Nelson is an information technology veteran with 30 plus years of IT experience. He serves as a senior vice president of business development and general manager for the award-winning healthcare-focused managed services provider, Medicus IT. Nelson brings impressive healthcare industry knowledge and experience to his position at MIT, where he focuses on enhanced client relations, bolstering the company's healthcare industry visibility, and helping more and larger practices get preventive with their IT rather than triage it. Frequently called upon for his healthcare IT expertise by professional groups, associations, and publications, Nelson is a recognized as an industry thought leader. Nelson, welcome to the podcast. Why don't you tell us about yourself and your role at Medicus IT? Michael, first and foremost, thank you for allowing me to, to be part of your podcast today. And what a great introduction. Thank you. It's been a long time, 30 years in the industry. I started as a service guy, servicing doctor's offices from a help desk when I was working for one of the larger hospital systems here in New Jersey. And that really gave me uh, an idea of the industry. And I understood the enterprise side of things. And they also gave me a little bit of a face-to-face with some of our community with doctors and physicians to really understand how they operated. And boy, will I tell you, it's certainly a big difference. So I've seen that maturity in the last 30 years and how those ambulatory centers adopting technologies so that they can treat patients. And you'll see the conversation that we're going to have today, some of the things that they're doing that it's pretty amazing. As you said, 30 years of experience. Our focus at Medicus IT is we're committed to helping healthcare organizations leverage technology to optimize patient care. We help our partners run their operations, grow their process, and transform their practices by providing solutions beyond your traditional IT. We have evolved to be a transformation organization. As one of the top healthcare IT providers in the nation, our team serves more than 5,000 providers across 38 states that equal to 34,000 healthcare professionals. So it, it's been a, a, a great journey here at Medicus IT, and I'm looking forward towards the future, spending more time in the community. That's uh, certainly very impressive as far as the number of healthcare providers across the country that your company services. I think one of the things today we're going to talk about for our listeners is we're going to talk about cybersecurity, the status of it in the healthcare industry. But we're also going, as we go through this discussion, we think we will be able to relate a lot of what's going on in physician practices to individual patients. Why is the average patient need to be concerned 
about cybersecurity at their physician practice. Whether that practice is a standalone practice in a hospital setting, might be part of a very large practice organization, could be small, could be owned by private equity firm. It really doesn't matter the setting. The, the issue is a lot of us have very important information, usually referred to as protected health information. In, in these practices, is how they protect our protected health information. And I thought maybe we start out, Nelson, with a higher level overview from your perspective. We've heard a lot of things in the last couple of years where a lot of other industries are well ahead of healthcare and technology and healthcare's always seem to be catching up with other industries. How is the industry doing as a whole at this point? What's your point of view on this? Here's where I can start by saying is healthcare remains uh, a gold mine for cyber criminals. Ransomware being their favorite tactic. Unfortunately, that's really driven by one thing, is financial gain. The average PHI is worth 10 times more than a credit card or a social security number. And I'm going to get into that a little bit more as we have this conversation. I always feel that providing some st statistics really you know, can outlay a, a story and, and gives you a, a better picture of really what's going on. So on average, uh, $9.3 million is the financial loss suffered during a healthcare data breach. On average, just let that sink in a little bit. And we're going to talk a little bit about more in the conversation is what are some of the things that we can do to, to help and these financial losses and what are some of the things that we need to put into place. When we look at financial losses, not just the time that you're down, but it's the time that you need to pay for ransomware, pay for PR, pay for attorneys, pay for cybersecurity and forensic folks. So it's a combination of so many different things. It's double the amount of any other industry. It's about what that record is worth. 85% of breached are involved by a human element. What does that mean? That means that 85% of the breaches happen because a human enables it. This is people being fooled by phishing emails right. as an example. I was going there, but Michael, it seems like you're doing your homework. That is 100% correct. So that's one of the examples. Sometimes it's malicious as well internally, but that's not the majority within that 85%. 30% of the breach is involved in phishing. So out of that 85%, 36% is involved by phishing attacks, which is 11% jump from 2020. So these are 2021 numbers, right? So 2019, the, the breach were around 11% less that had to do with phishing. So the, it's increasing. And what we want to be able to do, and hopefully today's podcast, we'll be able to provide a little bit more insight on what some of the things that people can do to be more preventative. 61% of reaches involve credential data. What does that mean? That they're going after your username and passwords. If you go right now on the dark web, you'll be surprised sometimes that we have a tool that we can scan the dark web and for credentials based on your email address to see if it's for sale. I will tell you that 94% of the time, I get a hit. That it, at one point in time, that account has been breached or it's for sale on the dark web. That's scary. But there are tools there to keep you aware and if those credentials are available. So we can get into that uh, as well later on. Phishing, again, was the most commonly experienced type of cyber attack. And it was overwhelming. Chai, you talked a little bit about that. Protected healthcare information could sell up to $1,000 per record on the dark web. On average, it's around between $250 and $300. Now, yeah, what does that mean? I, I'd like to share with the audiences. It has a longer shelf life. 
What does that mean? If you have a credit card and you've been breached or some information, call the bank, you cancel it, and you go through that process, right? It's not so simple with PHI because now it's your social security number, it's your bank accounts, it's anything that PHI has, that cyber criminal now has at his disposal. Now, why is that important? Identity theft. That's the major uh, focus, and that's why it has a longer shelf life. I am assuming that physician organization, let's say, or hospital, surgery center, whatever, is, is doesn't have the appropriate security. One of the things that I've seen in the literature, and I don't know how, if you've come across this yourself or how frequent this is, one of the reasons a lot of this information is so valuable is that when people, as you mentioned, steal the identity information on healthcare, uh, a lot of times they will actually use that to get services under a, a patient's name. So what they, and, and one of the ways they can do that, it's really not that difficult, is they could start, set up a shop, start sending in claims with your information. And a lot of times they can get the assistance, unfortunately, of a physician or if they can hack a physician's information too. One of the things we always had suggested to patients as far as these potential issues is when they ever get the explanation of benefit, they really should take the time to go through and read it because there's a, as you're saying, there's a high probability that they may have had their identity stolen or at least their, the protected health information that relates to their medical claim. And they may be in a situation where someone is actually getting services through their yeah. insurance, either insurance company or Medicare or whatever. Yeah, it even goes further than that. They'll open mortgages under that name. They'll file tax income statements so that they're collecting it. They're opening up credit. There's so many different ways that they're using that information for financial gain. It's incredible. And even goes beyond that. So Here's another stat is one in six America is affected by a breach, just in healthcare alone. So I'm not even including any of the other areas of business, such as retail, any or credit card companies or right. those types of organizations. So let that sink in. So it's one of those things that I'll go more in depth about awareness and really understanding what you're getting yourself into and being uh, vigilant, providing some training and awareness to, to, to your team and to, and to the patients as well. Just to summarize, and this was, I think this is really helpful for our listeners, besides just the medical services side of it, because this information, like you said, has a longer shelf life. It's not a situation where, which happens, I think, more frequently now, it, if somebody potentially has their credit card hacked. A lot of times the bank will come forward and say your card has been canceled. You're going to get a new one in a couple of days. So the shelf life for that information for the credit card went away pretty quick. But this information from identity point of view, it's just there. Yep. And if, if anything, it, it only gets updated with more right. current. They have your height, their weight, your blood type, your eye color, your hair color, your yeah. everything. It just makes it that much easier to do that identity theft. Sure. Yeah, and you bring up some good points. The the whole issue with the IRS and the and claiming of taxes, mortgages, and even loans, yeah, any, any, I, any I, kind of credit. I'll even tell you that during COVID, you'd be surprised on how many organizations got hacked with thinking that it was some government agency finding out about PPP loans and for them to to submit an application for X amount of dollars. And again, it's if there's an opportunity for cyber criminal to to have some kind of financial gain. 
they're going to continue to do it. That's not going to stop. It's just a yeah, matter of yeah. what you're going to do in order to push them you know, to the side. And hopefully you're not that next victim and you're not a statistic. But you bring up something I really want to ask you on the podcast today. When people were home, a lot of them working from home for the first time during the pandemic, did you see a lot of issues with security because people were working remote from home? Yeah, I will tell you is there was definitely an up in it. And I actually, I, I had a webinar that I did and I, and I um, posted a an image from a known hacking source that said, wow, it's going to be a field day for us. They knew that a lot of, not just in healthcare, but overall, we're going to be working from home. And obviously, the security setting from, from your home system to, to your corporate system is, is totally different. And it's one of those things that it's survival mode, to be quite honest. A lot of organizations needed to be able to you know, operate, and they took the risk to do this from home one way or another. They took some preventative measures but in some instances, they saw that there was some vulnerability and some risk. And fortunately, they took the time and the effort. Let's make sure that it's, we take the necessary measures in order to protect ourselves. And one of the things that we did as an organization is awareness, having that time with, with our client base and those in our community here in, in, in the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area is very tight. And mm-hmm. inviting some th- people to be guest speakers in the webinars to talk about some of the things that, that we needed to be worried about and prepare for, this was a part of that conversation. So I think that having podcasts like this and, and being able to provide a little bit more of awareness to the audience better prepares everyone in, in these types of cases. But to answer your question, yes, we, we, did, we did see an uptick for sure. So let's, I think we've done a a good job of getting everyone's attention here with how important it is Mm -hmm. that this protected health information on the healthcare side have as much security as possible. Let's talk about basically two things. First, what are some things from an organizational standpoint, so the practice itself, what are some of the things they need to do? to improve security. And then I think we should talk a little bit about what all of us as patients, what can we do? Let's talk about the organization first, because I think a lot of patients, right or wrong, their point of view is this is the job of the practice. Yeah. You know, I gave I, them my, I don't I'm a patient. I yeah, I, I, absolutely. So they, it's not my problem. It's their problem. As well as I do, it, it's more of a team effort here to make right. it really work. Let's talk about it from the organization sure. point of view first. What are like four or five key things that you would say they should so definitely I, do? I would say you have to start with one thing. And that one thing is performing a, a security risk assessment. And that kind of sets the baseline of where am I as an organization as it relates to my security posture? And that report should identify what are those key gaps. And then once you have those gaps, it's a matter of prioritizing them. I can't tell you how many times, Michael, with some of the opportunities that we have been working with and some clients that we've been working that we brought on early on, that we've gone through this process before them becoming a client. We've identified some very simple initiatives that can be taken to really secure them. Simple stuff. But the only way you're going to find out is if you have that baseline. So if anybody takes anything out of today is have an SRA, have that security risk assessment done by your IT provider or by a third party. I would even suggest if you have an IT provider, don't use that IT provider, use a third party, right? Because it's like the fox guarding the hen house type of thing. So you wouldn't want that. And so have a third party go through that process 
get that uh, report for you so you understand where you are. Now, I will tell you, we do this for our clients. We have third-party vendors that we use that we bring in to do this. And there's always things that we're finding. Um, and then once you have that security risk assessment uh, report, really is that identifying you know, those gaps and understanding the priority of when you have to address those gaps, what bridges you need to build to, to bridge those gaps. Because that's where the, unfortunately, sometimes there's no follow through and things just don't get done. But if you can make a change by just making certain adjustments to whatever you find in that report, it's definitely going to help you. So that's one. All right. So basically what we're talking about here for our listeners is a security review is done. And what that review does, and and I think this is a very good advice, it, it basically tells the organization, your security is strong here. Your security may need a little help here. And then there's some significant security gaps where you're very vulnerable. I assume you would then look at a report like that for your client. You would say, here's your priority. We have to Correct. really, we have to get into these areas. We have the most vulnerability first. It ends up with almost like a cheat sheet for the organization. Your firm can keep your client focused on these issues versus somebody turning it over to the practice themselves with no real assistance from an outside IT group. And they're so busy just trying to treat patients every day and may not even have the resources to do some yeah. of this stuff. Okay. That's a, a big issue. And yep. I, I I think that's a good way for them to start. So the other thing I think, what other, do you have a, a few more organizational yeah. suggestions? I, I, absolutely. So let's think, talk about access control and account management. What we've seen, again, this is one of those things that are, it's pretty simple to, to focus on and to fix is some you're giving certain individuals more access than what they need. For example, if, if you have somebody in billing, they should just be focusing on what they need to do for their job in the EHR in regards to, to, to billing, right? They shouldn't need to go into the into, into the clinical side of things or vice versa. Okay. So that's an easy one. So understand mm-hmm. what that account management access control looks like. The other one is, again, it's, it sounds... Pretty simple, but it's you'll be surprised on, on, on how uh, this is not being done on a regular basis. Is maintaining security updates for the operating systems, whether it's your whether it's a desktop, whether it's a server, if you have one, maintaining some redundancy and and built-in operational methodology to ensure that you're having those updates. The other thing that I am recommending, I will tell you that most cyber insurance organizations are requiring it is what we call multi-factor authentication. Sure. Uh, which if most of you have, I'm sure in the audience have, have seen it in one way or another, where if you're logging on to your online uh, bank account, it's asking you for, for authentication. Maybe it's an app on your phone or it's a text message, whatever that case is. Definitely think about making that, making that investment. Obviously, ensuring that you have a, a good backup and disaster recovery planning is essential. And it's not one of those things that you just do it once and you forget it. Make sure that you're reviewing it on a regular basis, at least once a quarter to see how the backups are working, if uh, they are legit, ensuring that if you have pull data or you have to recover, that the plan is in place. That plan should be being looked at least twice a year at a minimum. And then finally, cyber insurance. And I think the thing in regards to cyber insurance, it's really to understand what coverage you have. In this day and age, depending on the size of your practice, 
I will tell you that a million dollars is probably not going to be enough. Because by the time at $350 an hour for, for, for forensics, plus the PR, plus the, the attorneys, that's, it, it'll probably get you 80% of the way there. The other issue you have to worry about is ransomware. If there's ransomware, then you have to have that covered. So having someone taking a, taking a look at your policy, understanding what that policy covers is really important. And in this day and age, I will tell you that the rates are going higher and higher. It's just a lot more. So just keep that one in mind as well. So those are the, I would say the okay. top six things that you need, that every practice should definitely ensure that they're covering and ensure that they're doing. That's great. And I just... I'll go through a quick summary here after we let's talk for a few moments about what can the employees who are working in these organizations, patients, what are some of the basic things that we should be doing? So here's the one thing that I'll tell you that I'll add on to that, that I really didn't touch on. And I'm glad you brought this up. I think that for me and for what we've seen and one of the areas that we always ask our clients to focus on is on training and awareness, spending time with their employees, having some kind of a program that covers cybersecurity and and ensuring that your staff is aware of phishing emails and what they look like. There are technologies out there. For example, know before we're a partner of theirs and we have, I would say, close to 40,000 endpoints or end users that are on it to protect them. And what it is, it's really a training exercise that you'll get a mock email. It's basically thinking that you're asking you for some information, but it's really not. And based on that, it'll tell you this was a phishing email from a program that we're using. And now you're going to go through a training process. So for me, it's all about training and awareness and ensuring that your staff is aware of what's going on and providing that type of level of awareness and, and, and training. So making an investment in training, I think, is really important. And it's everybody's responsibility. It starts from the top and everybody should have ownership and accountability in cybersecurity. One of the things that you brought up, which I know from myself, the first time when I was working for a larger firm, the IT group never announced it. They just started sending out these fake phishing emails. And I will say that a few times when I saw them, I didn't know what they were. And I reached out to IT and said, I I don't know what's going on, but there's something strange, some strange emails coming through. But I will say at least once or twice, I was fooled myself Mm -hmm. uh, by the email. And it was very good practice to have that come out every once in a while, unannounced. And then what we would receive is at some point we would get a notice from IT saying, today we sent out this email. They'd show the email. They'd say this was a training exercise. And then they would show, I don't remember the exact numbers, but let's say it went out to a thousand people. They would say, this is how many people actually went into the email and tried to open the attachment. They didn't give them names. They just, right, had, a right. number. They just had a number. And then right. what they did in the future, which was good, the IT people did this, is anybody who did open the attachments, they would get more frequent training phishing emails until they got to some point where everybody realized what was going on. But it, it's a training piece at work, which is great. I think it helps everyone even at home personally too, because we get so many of these emails and stuff or fake website type emails that come our way 
for organizations to get some additional information about cybersecurity? Who, who would you recommend for them to reach out well, to? So here's what I will tell you. The FBI is really involved. They have their own division that's really focused on cybersecurity. And they're out there to help. Every October, Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So they're providing a lot of good information. So I would even start there because they really do have some great information there that you can follow. And they even provide at, at times some resources that you can use in case of a breach. If you have breached, you can really work with them and, they'll, and they can be part of that process with helping. What I will tell you is it's sometimes it's a little bit difficult because of timing, waiting on someone to be able to support in a short period of time, unfortunately, as good as they are, the feds, they just can't jump and, and, and do that for you. But being able to bring them into the picture to let them know that that's their job is, is to fight against those type of cyber attacks, as those cyber criminals. Nelson, thank you very much. We went over some reasons to be concerned as far as how this protected health information, if it's stolen, could be used. We went through a number of good suggestions for healthcare organizations on uh, what they can do to improve mm-hmm. their security. Nelson, anything else you would like to share? Well, one thing that I, I, I like to share with the, with, with the audience, we actually had a very good panel discussion last around cybersecurity, and we actually went through an incident. So I would, I would highly recommend for all those attending today's podcast to visit www.medicusit and, and go to the knowledge base. And you'll see that we have a, a series of webinars that we're doing that have a focus in, in, in security. And I think that provides a little bit more insight that from today's uh, podcast. Nelson, thanks again for being a guest on the podcast. Please follow our podcast and you'll be told when a new episode is available. You can email us at thehealthcaremaze at gmail.com with your comments and suggestions for future podcast topics. Thanks to all of you who listened to today's podcast. 